0: All right, and welcome to a very special episode of the Geekspin Podcast. We're going to be recording live today. Well, not so much live, but we're going to be recording at the Dandelion Con Suite at KeyCon 39. Uh, It's been a long time since we've managed to all get together and do the time warp. And today I'm going to be interviewing an absolute legend within the filk world, Mr. Dave Clement. Dave, welcome.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Okay, let's start at the very beginning. Um, You were born in Port Dover in
1: Ontario. No, I was born in Brantford, Ontario, Ah. but I grew up in Port Dover, so.
0: And what was it like growing up in that that area? Was that uh, part of made you, did that make you who you are today?
1: I guess in some regards it was a, uh, and is today, uh, primarily a tourist town. There's a lovely beach there. I certainly, when I was young, I spent a lot of summer days on that beach. You know, I didn't consider summer started till I'd had my third severe sunburn. My sisters loved to just peel all the sunburn off, so. Uh, was there a large music scene in Port Dover? Uh, there was some, it was primarily country music. My my love of music comes from my family. My My dad and mom played and sang. All all of my uncles had bands, country bands. It was all country music. I heard no music other than country music till I was 18, because mother would break your fingers if you turned the radio off of the country channel. (laughs) So that that grew out of my grandmother, who had, in the Depression, formed a family band and played barn dances for, or produce, in order to feed her nine kids during the Depression, so the the music came down through the family. So what? Uh, who were some of the musicians that she were listening to early on? Early on, well, they were country musicians. You know, people like uh, well, Jim Reeves, of course, was perhaps my favorite. You know, I loved his baritone voice, and they were all of the classics. You know. Kitty Wells and Johnny Cash and June Carter, the Carter family, you know, Buck Owens, those kind of people. The early TV shows where they had, there was one called Hee Haw, for example, that was sponsored by Buck Owens. That was fun. Where, where they would have all kinds of country guests on. I'm, we used to tune in to the uh, Grand Old Opry every Saturday night on the radio and listen to people there. You know, Grandpa Jones and his banjo. So... So growing up in a musical family, when did you first pick up an instrument? I guess when I was about eight, I, you know, I picked up a guitar, you know, and my uncles and my dad taught me to play. It was all done by, by ear, you know, like I, I never learned to read music or anything like that. So uh, they would show me the chords, then we would take songs and they would walk me through them and then I would sing them. Do you remember the first song that you ever played? The first one that I played in public um, was called Blue Shadows on the Trail, I believe. Yes, I think that's what it was. And that, yeah, that was for grade eight uh, graduation. I see. That was the first public one I did.
0: How about with your family? Uh, What sorts of, uh, do you
1: remember some of the songs that you were playing back then? Oh, my. It was all of the country hits of the 50s, okay, and uh, a lot of them. With my mum and dad, I did a lot of the even older songs. Okay, there's a song called uh, My Old Fiddle and I, for example, which is a, an old country song about, about a fellow who plays the fiddle. There was one called Nighttime in Nevada that I used to sing with my mother all the time. That was her favorite song. And these, are, these songs, I guess they would have been out of the 40s, perhaps, maybe even earlier. I'm not 100% sure. And then there were just all of the, the pop country songs of the day.
0: So you also play uh, bodhran and a couple of other instruments.
1: Uh, when did you start learning those? Oh, that I got into when I, after I'd been in Winnipeg, for a number of years, and I started to tap into some of the Irish music scene here. And uh, I have a a good friend, Al Thompson, who plays Penny Whistle very well, and he's a, a traditional British a cappella pub singer, knows a million songs, but we got into starting to play some of the Irish music back then So I decided to pick up the penny whistle, and I took some lessons. Uh, In Winnipeg at that time was a a lady named Susan Hammer, who is an absolutely fabulous whistle player and teacher. And so I took lessons with her. She's since moved to Winnipeg Beach, but is still teaching. And uh, while I was there, I also picked up the boron, because I've always felt that there's an inner drummer in me. I find myself tapping my toe or my fingers to tunes all the time so much that um, I think I annoy other people with it but it's not that I'm impatient it's just that I'm tapping along to a song in my head. So I picked up the boron there and recently I've started to play an octave mandolin and play Irish tunes on that but that's all through the the Irish music connection. I'm part of a, a traditional Irish Cayley band here in Winnipeg called the Flatland Cayley Band And we normally, we do a lot of shows at seniors homes and nursing homes and things like that, playing Irish tunes and Irish songs. But that all happened here in Winnipeg, well, I guess over the last 20, 25 years.
0: So you left uh, Port Dover to pursue uh, a career path here in Winnipeg, Uh, I believe working as a computer technician or working with computers.
1: Yes, I had the opportunity to come to Winnipeg and try out a, an experimental program they were offering at the U of M to see if blind people could program computers, and it turned out to be my cup of tea. You know, I, I found programming exactly what I loved to do. This was back in the days when we were just getting into computers. I started in 1966, you know, thinking back. Our first company computer was an IBM 360 with 32K memory. (laughs) (laughs) And at that time uh, there there weren't uh, very many developed languages, so we programmed in what was called address arithmetic assembly language, which kind of put us at the bits and bytes level of the machine. And that's what we wrote our programs in for the company. programmed, I guess, for about 15 years until the company started to move into some of the the newer development tools that involve a lot of graphics. And at that point, I found I couldn't program very effectively. So I ended up moving into management and I I managed the uh, tech support team at the company for the rest of my time there.
0: So during that period, you
1: weren't playing a lot of music. No, I put my music away when I came west because I felt I had to totally devote myself to learn to program and become a good programmer so that I could get a stable job. All through my teenage years, you know, not being able to see very well, I grew up expecting to spend my life living on welfare. You know, and it wasn't until I had the opportunity to A, go to university at Western Ontario for a year, where I fell in love with folk music. That's another whole story. Okay. And then through that, I realized that there was a much broader world ahead of me, and when I had the chance to come west, I leapt at it.
0: Well, let's hear the story about how you discovered folk music.
1: Uh, well, I went through the normal high school system. Okay, I did not go to one of the uh, schools dedicated to blind people. And... Uh, through that I had the opportunity to go on to university and I went to to the uh, University of Western Ontario and we stayed in residence <coughs> at that time and it turned out that my roommate who was a uh, an absolutely marvelous person named uh, Rick Elliott Okay, he was my roommate and it turned out that he was really interested into folk music Okay, I mentioned that I, I was died in the wool country musician before that. Mm-hmm. And Rick brought his three hundred album collection of folk music and his stereo with him, wow. okay, to our little residence room and I got I got soaked into it. And as soon as Rick saw that I had a guitar under my bed, he got really interested in learning to play and so I taught him Basic uh, guitar, and he picked that up just like a sponge. And of course, we applied it then to folk music. And with a with a third friend at the university, we formed a little trio, did a little performing around London, Ontario, back in the day. And uh, that had converted me pretty well from country into folk. I loved the folk music. I loved the ballad songs. I loved the story songs, and. So uh, that's when I made the big switch. Who were some of your early folk influences? Oh, gosh, folk influences. Um, Ian and Sylvia, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Gord Lightfoot, definitely, Gord Lightfoot. Um, Oh, there were so so many back then. Did you manage to get out to see any of those early bands? Yes, yes. Well, there were several folk clubs in London at the time, and they would bring in people. I remember going out to a a club called the Latin Quarter, and there was going to be a trio there, and we wound up, it was crowded, we wound up sitting right in front of the stage, which was a great place to sit, to listen to Peter, Paul, and Mary. This was when, of course, their career was just getting ready. Uh, Ian and Sylvia often performed at the university, which was great to catch them alive. Various other people, the, the Brothers Four, you know, the modern folk, Quartet, uh, the Kingston Trio came through. and In fact, our little trio were kind of a Kingston Trio uh, tribute band, you might say.
0: So you moved to Winnipeg. Uh, how did you get involved in Winnipeg fandom?
1: Ah, well, I've always loved to read fantasy and science fiction. You know, for me, it's the TV of my head. And, and uh, I was always interested in it. At one point, I thought, hmm, you know, I love reading this stuff. Maybe I could try writing it. And there was this event in Winnipeg called KeyCon, which is a science fiction convention. In fact, it was KeyCon number one. And we came out, Elizabeth and I came out on the the Sunday. We didn't come to the whole convention. We didn't know what it was about. But we came out and we caught uh, the talk of a couple of authors. And that really kind of triggered my interest. So the next year for Keycon number 2, okay, we came and we had a full weekend membership. And I came all prepared to hook up with people and talk about writing songs. Okay, or not song, not songs. I don't write songs. Writing science fiction stories. And out of that, we actually formed a local writers group that we called Better Than Hockey.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <coughs> that was the the name that the son of one of the people in the group uh, came up with for us, but it, I didn't actually pursue that very far because at Keycon number two, I ran into the music. Right. Who was uh, which musicians did you run into at uh, Keycon? Well, this was the first full convention I'd been to, and I'd run into uh, two people who were. Uh, willing to play music. Actually, there was an item in the program, okay, which was sort of a, a presentation of a Star Wars filk opera. And. Oh, good lord. Somebody might remember this, yes. And <laughs> <laughs> um, as, an, as a fanish e- effort, it was really good, okay. As a musical presentation, it lacked some. <laughs> so we were sitting in, in this room, and there was a lady behind us sitting in there with a guitar case. And we decided after about 20 minutes that maybe we could just go back to the room and play some music. So so Elizabeth invited her to come back to the room. I had my guitar at that point with us. And we sat playing, and then she had a friend who'd also come to the convention, so she invited him in. And we sat in our room playing music. Uh, some of the local people came around, primarily uh, John Spielman and Graham Leathers, both of whom are here this weekend, and out of that gathering of people, and we played all night long, okay, the fellow who was there was a smoker, mm. okay, and of course the rest of us didn't uh, care for smoke, he sat in the open window, I forget, we were on like the 16th floor, but he sat in the open window and he blew his smoke out the window, that's his was very thoughtful that way and we did music and that was really my first introduction to a lot of folk music okay that the woman was beth friedman who turned out to be the fan guest of honor for the convention and the fellow was stephen bruce okay that they, <laughs> out the author out of minneapolis and also a fine musician and so we became fairly firm friends out of that and that got me going down the uh the folk music road as it were
0: Now, when did you uh, first decide to release an album? Uh,
1: Oh, well, it was actually uh, uh, something that came about through a fellow named Bill Roper in Chicago. I'd been going to various conventions and taking part in the music circles at night. And while I probably knew it, uh, I'd forgotten that Bill had been Recording In those days, people would come in and put a tape recorder out in the middle of the circle and just record what was there. And he had gleaned through a lot of his recordings and found, uh, you know, a dozen or more songs that I had done live in these in these uh, folk circles at different conventions. And so he asked, would it be okay if he put together and released an album of these songs? And that was, it was all right with me. He, he looked after clearing all the mechanical rights and everything. And uh, that turned into my first album called Music After Midnight. And I named it that way because that's exactly what it was. They were the, It was the music done in music circles after midnight at different conventions.
0: Um, what conventions were you attending back then?
1: Oh, my goodness. Lots of them. Uh, Minicon was one of the prime ones. There was an, one in Racine that was called, um, gosh, the name now looks, now slips out of my mind. Of course, once the, the once the FILK conventions got going, you know the, the granddaddy of the FILK conventions, the Ohio Valley FILK Fest (OVFF) in in Columbus, Ohio, and then when the uh, Canadian FILK convention called FILK Ontario started, I was going to that. So I was probably hitting you know four or five conventions every year back then. At what point did you decide to put together Dandelion Wine? Oh well, that grew out of that that second keycon when when John had come in and Graham had come in, and we had kicked around the fact that we'd had a lot of fun with the music. We got together a few times um, after the convention, and we decided, well, hey, we should just make a band, and so we did. The first the first invocation of the band was called Prairie Wind, okay and we started to perform around Winnipeg uh, under that name. But we found that a lot of people thought we were a country band, when in fact we were a folk and filk band. We were playing filk songs uh, in, in the folk style. We didn't tell the audiences it was filk music back then. Okay, we just we just played them and they enjoyed the songs. But we came along and we decided To try to make an album and we realized that we needed to change the name of the band and we spent probably nine months trying to come up with a different name you know and we couldn't find anything it got so desperate that that my daughter who was in the band actually went out to the kitchen and grabbed cereal boxes out of the cupboard you know and started reading the names off of cereal boxes and i forget who came up with it it might have been her but at one point we're sitting around and and someone said okay well how about dandelion wine okay and that rang a bell for all of us because of all of the connections we all had individual connections to dandelions there's of course the filk connection to the dandelion it became the uh, the official flower of the filkers you know a, a weed that's pretty and is useful and you know all parts of it can be at this kind of thing so it was kind of a perfect emblem for filking back in those days, when filking was considered something that you stuck in the basement room somewhere and let people play music all night. So we ended up using that name and and we put our albums out under that name. And it became became a quartet uh, of John Spielman and uh, Cheryl, Mickey, my daughter, myself, and a fellow who may be in here, Mr. Tom Jeffers. But the four of us became Dandelion Wine. That would have been oh, gosh. Well, we started playing in in the late '80s, and I think we changed the name in about 1992
0: or 1993. And you managed to put out three albums during that time.
1: No, the the albums came through the '90s. Our our first album came out. <laughs> You know what? I can't remember. It, it's been too long ago that mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, so yeah, I know that we put the third one out at the 1994 Winnipeg Folk Festival when we played the Winnipeg Folk Festival. So, so the other two must have been earlier than that.
0: So you've done a lot of work uh, within the folk community. Um, obviously, you're very well known uh, right across the continent and I believe uh, even overseas. You've also won a lot of awards. Can you tell me some about some of the ones that
1: you've
0: uh, been nominated for?
1: Well, I've been there, there's a set of annual awards in the folk world called the Pegasus Awards, okay, and these are given out for different categories. You know, best performer of a year, best songwriter, this kind of thing. And um, I've won uh, two of those over the years. I'm not a songwriter. I I like to find other songs, songs that speak to me, songs that I like, and I like to make sure that they don't die, that they're spread around. There's a sort of a category of filk songs called found filk. These are songs that were not written as filk songs. They were written as regular songs and recorded and put out there, but whose subject is obviously science fiction or fantasy. So I delighted in finding these and bringing them into the filk circles over all the years. So uh, let's see what else. I guess for our third album, we won an Aurora, yeah, the Aurora Award for the for one of the categories. And those are the Canadian Science Fiction and Fantasy Awards. So um, we won one one of those for our third album. Other than that, I guess the other award kind of thing. I and perhaps it's just. Because I'm old, I was, I was inducted into the Filk Hall of Fame, which is a, a, a structure that was created by a Toronto fan, a Hamilton fan actually now, named Dave Heyman, where, where every year there's a, a big nomination program of, of uh, people who've done a lot in the Filk community, either Either as musicians or as supporters of felt music, and uh, it's a hall of fame. So you have to, by definition, be around for. I think it's a minimum of ten years before you can even be nominated. But back in in the '90s, again, I was inducted into the Phil Hall of Fame, which was a very great privilege in my mind because mostly. I consider myself going out and having fun with the music and spreading the music around and making sure that it gets promoted and doesn't die. So I wasn't thinking of it as so much as contributing to the community. I was thinking of it more as, geez, I'm having fun. Other people should have fun with this music.
0: So, what do you think of the uh,
1: state of, I guess, modern music today? Um,
0: obviously, it's branched out from those early days where it started off with, you know, folk music, and now it's getting into rock and rap and everything else. What are your feelings about how the music has evolved over the last, you know, thirty or forty years? I think it's
1: great, and uh, I think of it being very, very encouraging because it's bringing the young people into the whole filk world. You know, I mean, there are now, you know, there's wizard rock and there's the brown shirt rock, um, you know, rock out there. There's all kinds of, of types of music beyond this, the traditional folk style of music that's out there. And to my mind, this is great because it includes a lot of the young people today who are who are more media bound than book bound, you know when i was first getting involved uh, most of the the songs spun out of novels that were written by different people and today it's a lot of it is based in in anime or in on manga or in uh, you know in media oriented science fiction and fandom the whole star wars sub sub group of fans you know and along with that comes comes uh, songs that are written about it so I while I might not appreciate hard rock you know or you know or or a lot of very fast rap uh, for my own personal taste I'm very glad to see it because it means that that uh, interest in science fiction and fantasy and and fan-ish activities okay are staying alive
0: so somebody want to get into filk music. What? Where would? You, where's the first place you would direct them to? Where should
1: they start? Where should you start? Wow. Well, well, there are several uh, podcasts today that involve filk music that you know that you could tap into. There are. Well, probably conventions aren't the right place for someone to just start, because that the, there are folk music-dedicated conventions spread around the world. And those are great, but you have to find out if you, whether or not A, you like the styles of music, and B, whether you like the kind of songs they're doing. So so sampling them I, it would be a good thing to do. You can find a, a lot of it on YouTube, but it's not necessarily labeled as folk music, so you kind of need to know who the people are If you, a lot of the filters put out their albums and their songs on Bandcamp, for example, and you could go there and you can, you can listen, and then if you want to buy a song or an album, you can do that through Bandcamp. Um, And if you know someone who's involved in the music already, that's another place you can go. There, there are many, many, many filk albums out there that are, are available, you know, done by some of. Us old folks and done by young people. And uh, there's songs in almost any branch of of fandom you can think of in in the science fiction and fantasy and horror world.
0: So what does the future hold for Dave Clement?
1: What does the future hold? Uh, More general performing. I've been doing more um, concerts and whatnot in the folk world. You know, this summer I hope to play two festivals up in Flin Flon, Manitoba, um, and I'm doing more online concerts. There's a series of online film concerts, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, called the Festival of the Living Room. If that would be another good place um, that someone could go to, um, is it quarterly that Lem is doing them? I think it's Not every two months. Every two months he puts on a full weekend virtual of uh, the Filk Convention. okay, with, And these are great because they allow, through the, the magic of Zoom, for people all around the world to tie into Filk music, people who could probably never have afforded to travel. Like, some there are some Australian Filkers out there now, there are some German Filkers who are able to participate in Filk music in a place where any and everyone can see them without having to spend mega bucks to try to tra- to you know travel to the US or other parts to actually join in the conventions. So those are going on. I'll be taking part in, in a couple more of those coming up later this year. Uh, musically, that's about it. I want to to learn more Irish tunes on my on my octave mandolin. I enjoy playing the tunes. That's fun. I, you know, I'm staying with the, with the Celtic band, of course, because the hope is that come the fall, we'll be able to start performing again. COVID really bit us. I mean, the lockdown came at the start of March yeah. in 2020. Okay, And we had 13 gigs in March lined up because of St. Patrick's day, of course, everybody wants Irish music. Um, and they all got canceled. So we haven't performed as a group. Well, that's not true. We did, perform this past St. Patrick's Day. We did three gigs in two days, but all of the places we normally play aren't hiring. They're not taking people in yet. You know, they're not, they're still worried about COVID and they're, some of them are staying locked down. So, so that'll keep on. Other than that, just the normal things. I, I do uh, volunteer work with a local organization called the um, vision-impaired resource network, and this is a group who work with people who are, are losing or just lost their sight, and we're trying to help them fit into a dark world, we're trying to help them learn how to, how to uh, navigate the world, how to also, uh, you know, learn things they need to learn. You know, we offer tech courses in, in Windows and in uh, iOS and in Android. I'm their iOS teacher for that. Lately, I've just also started to teach campfire guitar to some of them. Oh. What, my definition of campfire guitar is learn to play enough guitar that you can sit around a fire and sing some songs, okay? Then I'm not out to teach people to be guitarists. Mm. I want to teach them to be able to have fun with a guitar and songs. So uh, I'll continue doing that work um, on into the future as well. To support that, I, to keep current, I take tech courses online. I'm signed up with about 40 email lists, you know, that deal with tech issues and uh, blindness and whatnot. So uh, I keep myself fairly busy that way.
0: Well, I think we're going to wrap that up right about there. Um, Dave, it has been an absolute pleasure to have uh, been able to speak with you.
1: Thank you very much for coming out. I hope you're going to stay around and catch more of KeyCon, and in particular, stay around for the concerts. We start at 3 o'clock. We have three concerts this afternoon, and we have, uh, let's see, uh, maybe four concerts later on tonight by by different groups of people.
0: And, of course, if you find yourself coming out to KeyCon any time after this podcast has been released, you can always... Uh, come up to the 15th floor and find Dave at the Dandelion.
1: Yeah, the Dandelion in room 1516.
0: That's us. All right, Dave, thank you very much. And that's a wrap.